This is the Youth Worker Collective podcast from Young People's Ministries. You don't have to be in ministry alone with resources, coaching, games, and more at umcyoungpeople.com. My name is Chris Wilterdink. I'm the director of Young People's Ministries at Discipleship Ministries of the United Methodist Church. Uh, Jeremy Steele and I hang out just about every Thursday and host the Youth Worker Recharge. And today we've got Mark Baugh. Uh, Mark is the director of youth ministry at Auburn United Methodist Church in Auburn, Alabama. He's got over 20 years of experience in youth ministry and uh, has a ministry that really is built on the strength of small groups. So, Mark, welcome. Hey, thanks for letting me be here today. You know, Mark, I've known you for a long time now, and one of the things that I have always been fascinated by is um, the fact that really people talk, like I've been to seminars, I've been to places where people say, like, your youth ministry should be built on a solid small group ministry. I have never seen any that were all we're like consistently that is actually the case right there are people that do good at it for a minute and then fizzle things kind of kind of uh, go away but um but yours that's that's been the the case for your ministry not just in your tenure as the director but even previous to that so you know i'm curious uh when we talk about small group ministry being sort of the bedrock how have how has your church kept that sort of at the center um, for so long and not lost it lost that direction it's a good question i think there's multiple angles of it um i think one is we let the groups have their own individual personality um, so we don't we don't force them to be one way or another. We don't um, necessarily force curriculum to groups. We don't say here's what we have to go through. Um, we equip and give leaders tools, but it's not a, a contrived force system. Um, I think the other thing that that we have done that was really done before I was even there um, that they set up our small groups um, to be groups that truly walk through life together. Um, so we put our groups together early on in their youth ministry um, career and they stay together um, all the way through graduation with the same leader all the way through graduation. Um, And so they, they really go through a lot of the middle school awkwardness together. You know, they, they have to kind of figure out who they are together and they go through the, this kid didn't make a team together. And, and some of them have walked through the death of parents and, and of peers together. Um, so we really challenge our leaders to to look at um, their group as, as not just a small group, but what they wish they could do for everybody. We challenge them to do for their small group. That's really cool. I like that. I like that pitch too. <laughs> what you wish you could do for everybody, you can do for this small group. Um, that sounds great. I love that. Like that. That would make a really awesome article. But it also, I feel like, is more complicated than you make that out to be. Because kids come and go, leaders come and go. How do you deal with 
that aspect of it, right? How do you deal with the the sort of you're you're sort of pitching this consistency, but life it really isn't ultimately that consistent. So how do you deal with the inconsistency of life within that system? Uh, that's a tough question. I think the the easy answer I think is is to roll with it. Um, mm-hmm. I know that sounds pretty simple, but I think one of the things that we push in in our ministry, and we know we're successful in youth ministry is when our students can, can tell us that it will be okay. You know, what you're going through in life right now, it may suck. It's terrible, but it will be okay. And so we've kind of taken that same mentality with our small groups. Like this kid may leave, this adult may leave, this college student may graduate, but it will be okay. And we're still going to be together. Um, we, we also kind of set a standard that, that moving on doesn't mean forgetting what's behind in, in a certain way. So if, mm-hmm. if a leader moves and, and they move out of town, um, a lot of times I'll still check on the kids. We had a kid that was in one of my small groups several years ago, pre, pre-COVID, pre-pandemic, um, pre-Zoom, um, and we actually figured out how to FaceTime him in each and every week once <laughs> he moved to Kentucky. Um, yeah. So people still know they're cared about even when things things change. And so are your groups sort of closed down at some point where you know they – there's that, I mean, you have that value of consistency, but um, do you start just new groups with new kids or do you incorporate kids into existing groups? Good question. We incorporate them into existing groups. Um, Mm -hmm. What we do to intentionally do that is we start small when they're young. So, you know, if we don't want them to get above 12 or 16, we start them with seven or eight in the eighth and ninth grade. So they have room to invite their friends. If you start them with 12, then, then they don't have room to bring their friends to. Um, right. So we start them with, with a few. And we really rely on our leaders to help us understand the individual group's dynamic. Um, so if a kid signs up after the group is formed and they say, I want to be in this person's group, we'll go to the leader and ask, what do you think? How are your dynamics? Where are you um, in the forming process? Can you take on one more? Are you willing to take on one more? And we honor what they say. Um, some have said no. Some have said no. We're, we're not. We don't need to mess up our dynamic. Things are going really well right now, so we we don't. We stick that kid in another group, and and we just tell them, sorry, it's not going to happen, you know. But we have we have another group for you. Yeah. So I think I think yeah. relying on the leaders in the room has been one of our biggest um, successes in a way. Um, Meaning, I'm not the expert on their group. They are. Um, if they need curriculum, I'll find it. If they need more kids, we'll find it. If they don't want more kids, we won't put more kids. You know, if they need another leader, we find another leader. Um, really relying on them to to give us a sense of where that group is and what's going on. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, Mark, I've got a, a question. I think um, the church that I'm a part of here uh, in Franklin uh, has a small group model for their youth ministry as well. And the kind of way that the youth minister on staff organizes it is that um, that minister really tries to like recruit a pair of adults that then will grow and age with the youth. Right. Um, And so you're basically asking somebody to sign up for like a six or seven year commitment. Um, And so my question is going to be, you know, coming from that, need to be able to volunteer, recruit, and do those kinds of things. Uh, how do you, how do you pitch that level of commitment 
right. to get a to get a volunteer to buy in it, right? Because I have so many conversations with youth ministers that are like, listen, if I can get somebody to show up for like two Sundays in a row, I'm feeling great. Right. Right. Yeah. Two things. One, I'll tell you one, I don't. Um, I, I don't pitch the six year commitment. I'll let our other leaders that have done that pitch that six year commitment. Yeah. Um, I'll let them say, look, I was with these kids in seventh grade, they were boneheads. We talked about Jesus for three minutes, but now we're seniors and we're having in-depth conversations about their faith and, and, and letting the leader pitch that get through it, you know, mindset um, and helping them define success at every level is a big thing. You know, we tell them if you have a seventh grader group and you get three minutes of Jesus in, that's a win. You know, uh, if you don't lose a kid that night, that's a win sometimes. Um <laughs> You know, but I think the other thing is we've also shifted, especially especially with the way the world has kind of shifted lately. Um, we have we pulled our seventh and eighth graders out um, to where we have a whole group master teacher for them, and they're put in the groups each night, and they don't start their form groups until ninth grade. So we've shortened that commitment as well. Um, but the biggest recruiter I have is other parents and other leaders who have stayed the course for their groups and can tell that story um, a lot better than I, than I can. Cause I'm the guy that needs them to volunteer, you know? Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that uh, one of the other really helpful parts for ministry is like having the youth be able to do that as well. Right. And, mm-hmm. and especially if you've had a relationship where it's like four or five, six years. And I know before we started recording, you and I were talking that, you know, here you are, you, you've been in your role at your church here in Auburn for over 10 years now. Um, and so you can have that testimony for what a long-term relationship and what the really, really awesome stuff in youth ministry that starts to come along after you know a family for so long is. Um, and you can, you know, go back to those now young adults and say, hey, could you have a conversation with some other folks to talk about what it meant to you to have somebody that actually, you know, cared about you and could have those big, deep conversations because of the time that was invested. Well, and yeah, and absolutely. And what's wild is that um, I was actually a student in our small group ministry of our church. Um, wow. I, I'm a product of that. Um, and so what's been cool to say is you don't know who in your group's the next youth pastor here. You don't know who in your group is the next pastor of another church. Cause we have several that come out, they're pastors. Um, and so getting to understand the long-term value is a, is a big deal there. I might have one more question. The question comes about because you happen to be leading a ministry at the ter- church where you grew up being in ministry. So, you know, there are those things that are like the sacred cows uh, that you just can't change. Right. There's like, right. This is how we do things here. Um, yes. Do you bump into any of those and has the last year of yeah. COVID, you know, restrictions giving you any freedom to kind of rethink some of those things or just, just tell me about that. Yeah. Like what's your longest running as an entry into that? What's your longest running event or program? Oh yeah. Uh, winter treat um, that you've seen Jeremy, it started yeah. um, in the late seventies. Um, and it's always oh had the same. Yeah. It's always had the same core. We talk about a lot how it's adapted and shifted over time. But it's always had a whole group time. And it's always had what we call their family group time. It's always had those two components and some free time. But since so the over late 70s, 40 years. Yeah. If you, if you know David Goolsby, um, he's yeah. the director of Wesley Foundation's retiring, I think, this past week. He actually was the youth director of it back in the late 70s. So wow. it's, it's over 40 years. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, so we run into some things um, that <laughs> that we bump up against, obviously. Um, what has been fun for me in being in a unique situation is I know for the most part how we got where we are. You know, I, I kind of I can kind of chase that trail back and go. Well, I understand that's where we want to go, but we've already we've been there, and here's why we do this this way. Um, I think that's one of the benefits of being in one place for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we've tried to do is keep these traditions in place and these sacred cows, quote unquote, in place. Um, yet we try to dress them up a little bit differently. Um, we try to change the why behind what we do it, why we do what we do. We try to give students more leadership roles in it. We try to shift the culture behind the strategy. Um, mm-hmm. If strategy can't change, we can change culture. If culture can't change, you can change strategy. Um, right. and so living into that that aspect. No, as far as COVID goes, yeah, it's, it's given us some freedom. Um, but what we found is, is that we're actually running up against that sacred cow even more. Um, longing yeah. for the days of old. Let's just get back. Can we just get back to winter retreat? Can we get back to D groups like normal? Can we get back to sweat week? And mm. and so it's been this conversation of of yes and. Um, it's been this conversation. My, my prayer the whole time for COVID. Um, this might not be answering your question, but my prayer the whole time for COVID has been it is a pruning time for our youth ministry. Yeah. Um, that that we may have half of the small groups that we had, but we can build them back in a, a better form. Um, mm-hmm. We can be more intentional in the way we do, and we can own the culture shift that has happened. And, and they, they may be so-called D groups in 20 years, but hopefully they feel a little different than they are now. And we've grown with culture over time. Yeah. So this week I'm going to be doing something that I have not done that I can, I can't tell you the last time I've done. Um, I'll be wearing a suit twice in the same week. Um, I'm not a suit guy. I'm the youth guy, right? Um, twice in the same week for very different reasons. Um, last Saturday, I was able to um, be a part of a wedding of one of my former D group guys, a guy that I um, invested in growing up. Um, and yesterday, uh, I sat in the room with my wife's grandmother. She passed away. So I'll be in a suit in two different places in the next coming days. And I've sat in two different rooms over this past week, um, a room last Saturday filled with joy and expectation and, and hope, and a room yesterday filled with sorrow and mourning and brokenness. And I'm reminded of two rooms in Scripture that that mirror these, and, and the first one um, is the upper room that we're all familiar with in, in Luke 22 and. We, we all know the account of Jesus in the upper room and the, the Last Supper, and and he's up there with his friends. And it, it seems to be this time of rejoicing, um, this time of they're, they're celebrating the Passover. And we know Jesus flips the script at the end of it, but the beginning of it is this time of celebration, this time of, um, of remembering what God has done. And he takes the bread and he says, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And the other room I'm reminded of is the one that was four or five days later, um, the night of the resurrection, the disciples have locked themselves in the room and, and they're terrified and they're scared of the religious leaders and they're scared they're going to be killed. And they're very, very fearful um, of their future. It was a, a room of sorrow and, and uh, a room of, of the unknown future. Um, 
And, and I look at that room and Jesus shows up and he owns the room again. And these are his words in Luke 24, 39. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. I think of those words and, and I, I almost hear him saying, this is my body. See it? My hands and my feet. Remember me? Remember that joyful conversation we had a few days ago? I was there. Remember the times we had that were good? I, I was there. And in this hopeless situation, this brokenness that you're experiencing right now and you're hiding and you're fearful, remember me again. Here are my hands. It is I, myself. That wedding and sitting in the room yesterday with Granny, I really believe that Jesus was in both of these rooms. And in all honesty, I really felt Jesus was the center of these rooms. I can almost hear him in the middle of both rooms, the one filled with joy and one filled with sorrow, saying, do this in remembrance of me. Be joyful in remembrance of me. Be sorrowful in remembrance of me. So what rooms are going on in your life right now? Is there a room of joy? Is there a room of sorrow? Maybe you're going through a season of questioning, wondering or wandering. Where is it in your life that you need to remember Jesus? Will you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for this day and the time we can spend together. God, thank you for slowing us down for just a few minutes to remember you. God, through technology and all over the world, we are able to be together to remember you. God, in our times of joy, help us remember you. In our times of sorrow, help us remember you. In all things, help us remember you. Senior Sons, let me pray. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Um, wow. So, question, uh, kind of around that. How do we, how do you do that? Like in, what are the practices that help you keep that in your head in all the different situations, all the different suit places? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I wish I knew an easy answer. Um, I think, I think for me, it's taking inventory or stock of the room. You know, I think of other rooms where, where Jesus walked in and his disciples were pounding with questions. You know, he's almost like he closed the door to rest and they're throwing questions at him. I think of the, the other room where he was going to um, heal the little girl. And he put everybody outside of the room. He cleared the room. And so I think taking stock of the room and inventory of the room and going, okay, what is really important here? Hmm. What What is the important thing that is going on here? Because the thing is never the thing, right? And, and what is really happening in the room right now? Um, and how do I see Jesus responding there? Yeah. You know, you're a, you're a ministry professional, right? So do you feel like sometimes you're also the person that has to notice that for other people, um, Mm. to bring that up in the moment? Um, or is that something that, that you, you sort of keep internal? Wow. Oh, I think both. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 
I think it's important to help the room be aware of that at times. Um, but I think it's more important for us to be aware of that time. It's so easy as a ministry professional to get wrapped up in the doing, you know, I'm going to put on this suit and this tie and I'm going to put on this uniform. I'm going to go play a part. I'm going to go, um, do my role or do my job almost like an athlete would or a band, um, you concert would you put on the right stuff to go do the right jobs. Um, I think it's important for me to, to remember why, um, mm-hmm. why I'm there. You know, I, I don't believe we are ministry professionals by accident. And I don't believe yeah. we're called in these situations by accident. Um, and so for me, it's, it's taking stock and, and making sure that my heart and my mind is set in the right place so that my life can reflect that. Um, yeah. And I think secondly, helping, helping those in the room, especially if they're people of faith, um, remember Jesus as well. One of your roles in, um, in your job, you've had several in ministry interns, mm-hmm. uh, as well as um, just, I, I know that you've, played roles in your annual conference as a coach and a leader walking alongside, you know, most, we know that most youth ministers don't make it to the five year mark really. Um, And so a lot of, a lot of our training and equipping and mentoring of young youth workers is really young youth workers that haven't, haven't lived through that through difficult times in ministry Right. Um, and uh, so as you have been with those young leaders over the years, when difficult things happen in their life, uh, what has been your advice to them? Right. What's your advice to the, you know, just college graduate that came on your staff and had a close family member die or, a friend getting a horrible accident. Um, how do you help them navigate uh, their faith and their profession? You know, that is sort of this new combination, right? Right. Uh, again, <laughs> I wish I had an easy answer. Um, right. I'm asking only hard <laughs> questions right now. Yeah. Sorry. It's all good. <laughs> I just know um, that, I, you know, a lot of people yeah. who listen to the podcast are, you know, are going to be that that person right and they may not be in this situation today but right. you know next year or the year after yeah. you know all hell might break loose in their world yeah and like what what do you do how do you weather think, that storm i think it, i want to listen that that's my role mm-hmm. um but if i have to if i'm giving them advice i would i would tell them two things one i learned the hard way you need to find yourself an outlet you can't carry it all and you cannot internalize it all. Um, yeah. Find yourself an outlet. I don't know. I don't know what that is for you. It may be exercising. It may be um, watching movies, um, but find you a place that you can be you and find you someone you can talk to. Or um, watching football, War things. Eagle, right? Yeah, War Eagle. Absolutely. <laughs> um, for sure. You know, find, find you a community that you can be a part of that has no agenda for you. Um that truly has no agenda for you, that you don't have to be anybody, you don't have to play a certain role in their life, but they have zero agenda for you other than being there for you. I think the second thing I would tell them is to play the long game. 
Um, yeah. So many times we look at at jobs or life as, as a game that has a time limit on it. Um, I think the whole goal of ministry, besides the obvious part of making Jesus famous, is to stay in the game. If we're not in the game, we can't make Jesus famous. Um, so how do you stay in the game? You know, it's when these crappy things happen to you, how do you stay in the game still? How do you not lose your why behind what you're doing? Um, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to cool off. It's okay to find an outlet. It's okay to, to grieve. It's okay to mourn. Um, but I think I'm built like a lot of you to where we're compelled to ministry. Um, Mm. so it's not okay to walk away. Um, you know, it's, it's not okay. Take all the time you need, but get back in the game. Um, somehow, somewhere. Mark, I, I really love the image that you painted in the devotion um, of remembering that Jesus is in both rooms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, we've been around ministry long enough that the fancy research term would be moralistic therapeutic deism, right? Where there is a God. And All God right, wants, Chris, you're dropping the yeah, big words. <laughs> here we go. There's a yeah. God and God wants me to be good and God wants me to be happy is basically what that right. means. And yet we all know that that's just, that's not reality, right? Like life is all the things and yet Jesus and God are in all the things too. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm wondering maybe as a, as a question, um, uh, you know, I'm sure that you've got youth that have stayed in the game, right? Um, mm-hmm. Even, even if they are not professionally in ministry, right? Um, right. Could, could you share maybe a couple of stories or examples of how, you know, the young people that have been a part of your ministry are able to recognize that Jesus really is wherever they happen to be? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to backtrack a minute to your, your uh, I can't remember the big words you used, but monotheistic goodness, right? <laughs> um, and God wants to be happy. I, I really push back on our students with that, that, that God wants us to be holy. Um, you know, and I'm sure you are the same things, but I really try to dig in on that um, because I want to be set apart. And, and so one of my challenges to students is no matter where they go, whatever they do, do it differently. Um, do it like Jesus. If, if you're I, I'm one of the guys that was an intern when I was, he's an attorney here in town and, and he does it differently. Um, he's a God fearing attorney. Um, you know, we have students that are, they're working in sales and, and they get to travel around the state. And, and so they get to take Jesus all across the state with them, wherever they go. They get to, mm-hmm. to talk to these receptionists and they get to check in on them. How are you? How's your day? How's your life? How can I pray for you? Um, th- those type things. Um, I-, I have one former student that's now overseas for the past six months doing mission work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but that, that's that been cool. I have one that's going to go into education. And so she truly sees her classroom as her ministry field. Her her area of ministry is, is that classroom. Um Man, I'm trying to think. I've got I've got former students that are playing college sports, and they see their their team and their group as their ministry field, and, and they know that they're better equipped to reach those people than I am. Um, so it's it's been neat to see them take ownership of that. Now they're not perfect. They they know they're not. I know they're not. Um, but I think and I hope that they see themselves as holy, as set apart, as as doing these things differently than than their average peers. Yeah. It, and the, you know, like the Methodist phrasing for that, right. Would be this 
idea that we're journeying toward Christian perfection, mm -hmm. right? Like right. we have to be able to be comfortable with the idea that we aren't perfect and we may never be perfect, but that also means that it's okay to be a little bit better tomorrow than we were today. That right. the things that we do, yeah. wherever our mission field is, or, or, you know, each time that we offer prayer or each time we get to be in conversation about who Jesus is for us, that that's leading us to be a little bit more like Jesus. And that really is like a lifetime of discipleship, which is really pretty awesome. Um, right. but yeah, sure is different than, you know, pushing back against this idea of, you know, you know, God just wants us to be happy. We hashtag blessed, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, as Wesleyans, we have this awesome, um, prayer that John Wesley, uh, sort of worked on for a while uh, that talks about uh, let me be um, full, let me be empty, uh, exalted for you or made low for you. And, you know, one of the things I, I think is that there are things, um, there are things in life that require us to not be happy for a while. Mm. and things that God needs to have happen in this world that will not make your life a happy life for a while. Um, and the goal isn't to recover from that, right? The goal is that. And, and I think the trick is learning to know when that is the case. Like, am I in a hard time that I need to get out of? Or am I in a hard time that I need to dig into? Let's stay in the hard place. That's good. Let me advocate for the people that I'm around that are suffering. Let me, um, and I think that's the, that's the, the thing that surrounding yourself with people that can, Hey, say, Hey, no, no, it's not All time right. to go. Yeah. It's time to play the law game. You're in a hard place, but it's, it's, yeah. it's something that God needs you to do right now. And, and when things are hard, we develop, it's like, you know, maxing out when you're working out in, in weights, right? It tears your muscles and it does things that are painful for days. And then it actually gives you some benefit in the long run. Says the guy who's getting back to the gym after a year of not going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for this. Thank you. And uh, for being so vulnerable and honest and yeah, yeah super helpful. Thank you. 